Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. There's always going to be things that go wrong and you know, don't quite work, but I think as long as every game we get better and we work on what we've spoken about the last couple of games or last film session or whatever it is, um, then you know I know it's going to click at some point and we're going to get those wins rolling on the board. This week, we're joined by captain of the Sydney Flames, Keely Froling, as the team prepares to finally head back home after one of the longest on-the-road starts in the league. We talked to Keely about the gruelling start to the season as they prepare to circle back to Sydney for this weekend's doubleheader with the Sydney Kings. A fierce competitor and self-confessed white line fever player, Keely is learning to fine-tune her leadership style as captain understanding the need to bring her younger squad together and to look ahead positively, leading by example in some great individual performances so far. We're grateful to Keely for sharing some challenging experiences in her younger years and her journey as one of the youngest to start in the WNBL. And of course, we get excited as the team make their way back to Sydney, home of the hugely successful Women's World Cup for the first time this season. Sydney fans, you really want to get around this young team. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Gavind and myself today, it's captain of the Sydney Flames, Keely Froling. Keely, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Hi guys, thanks for having me today. So, Keely, you've been racking up those frequent flyer miles over the last few weeks in the first three rounds of the WNBL. That's probably been a, a pretty tough way to start the season. Yeah, it's been super tough with that draw to start the season. And, um, you know, when you're a young group, when you're a new group and you're trying to get imports used to the league, when you have a bye first round of the season and then go three games on the road and then a fourth one after this FIBA break is not ideal. But, um, you know, we're trying to take positives out of that. And I think we're nearly home for all of January and that sort of stuff. So in the long run, we're saying it's going to um, be better for us. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I know as Flames fans, it's been kind of, you know, when do we get to go and watch the team play? <laughs> yeah, it really has been. And, you know, for our imports and stuff, we want to play at home. We want to um, build on the back of that World Cup success and all the people that were at the games and that sort of thing. So it's been that kind of stall, it feels like. But hopefully once we do get home games, you know, we'll start to see it rolling a little bit. Cool. Okay, let's, I mean... We're going to bounce around a little bit here, but let's get the not-so-happy not so stuff out of the way first. 
it's been a tough start, right? Apart from the schedule, the results haven't really gone the Flames' way. Now, obviously, you know, travelling around, especially with the schedule that you've had, makes it really tough. How do you find the challenges, particularly in your in your role as, as captain, how do you find those challenges of, you know, the motivation and kind of, you know, having that leadership role in the team and keeping everybody up? Because, you know, it, it, it can get tough. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a tough week for us, but I think, you know, we took a lot out of every game and obviously to start the season against Bendigo, they're a really great team and a veteran team as well. So they've been around this league for a really long time and, um, you know, they jumped us with that sort of stuff. And then it's always been like it's felt like one quarter that we haven't been great that's kind of cost us the game and we're taking a lot of learnings from that. I guess the best thing about playing three games a week is you don't have a lot of training time. So, you know, we just we were just rolling from one game to the next, watching a lot of film, doing that sort of stuff, and then had this little bit of a break, which has kind of come at the perfect time now to really refine some of those things that we're not doing right. And we know that we're like right there. Um, I don't think there's a massive gap between what we're doing, what we're not doing, what we need to do to win. So, you know, we're just taking all those positives on board and um, yeah. And something I was really impressed with, Keely, in your game, I think it was against Adelaide. You know, despite the rocky game and like Paul said, things weren't really going the team's way. You as a team got a lot of great shot uh, shot opportunities that unfortunately weren't dropping. But I was really impressed with how you yourself maintained a level of intensity like you, you yourself didn't let your head drop. You didn't stop attacking the basket and maintain that level of intensity throughout despite the adversities of the game. So now stepping into that role of captaincy, is that something you're very conscious of, of leading by example? Yeah, I think um, I naturally do that. You know, I'm one of those players that once I step over the line, it's like white line fever. Um, No matter what, if we're up by 40 or if we're down by 40, I'm probably still going to play the same way. So that comes really natural to me. And for me, it's just with that leadership role, we're just trying to keep the group together, keep us positive. We know our shots aren't dropping at the moment, um, but that'll come. And I think once that comes, you know, we'll open it up, we'll feel a little bit freer and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's... Like I said, um, once I'm on that court, then I'm always going to play hard. Now, for people who may not understand, what's the difference from your perspective of being the captain of the team to being a player on a team? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think there is that little bit of difference because you have that, I find there's a lot more responsibility and as someone that has that white line fever, sometimes I can get a little bit angry, sometimes, you know, loses my cool. I've had to really try to rein that in and um, take in, especially with a young group, I know, you know, I've got to go, oh, okay, I've got to pull the group in here. That's my role. I've been really lucky that in other teams I've had really great leaders, you know, Carly Wilson, Mariana Tolo, Kelsey Griffin, who have done that for me and I haven't had to have that role. But with this team, I think it's a lot different where you've just got to take that step back and sometimes it feels like the world's against you, but you can't drop your head, you can't blame, you can't do all that sort of stuff. You're the one that's really got to hold the group together. It sounds like it definitely starts to hold you a bit more accountable when, yeah, you're supposed to be the the model of staying positive and staying sticking to the game plan and, and things like that too. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for me is just making sure, oh, okay, like people are looking at me and what I'm doing in this situation as well. So having that in the back of the, your mind. And uh, you touched on some of the leaders and captains that you have played with before that have obviously left an impression on you. So 
Are you starting to develop or have a recognition of what your personal leadership style is? Yeah, I think for me, I always lead by example. That comes naturally to me and it's easy for me. And, you know, I'm always going to play hard, always work the hardest, all that sort of stuff, set that example that way and then kind of bring other people with me in that regard. And, you know, we've got a home game coming up. At uh, it's a double header with with the Kings at Kudos on the the fourth of December, uh, and it's a rematch with Bendigo. What do you want to see the team achieve? I mean, apart from the obvious a, a W, <laughs> right? But you know, what do you want to see the team achieve as as a group? I think for us, it's just about getting better each game and not having to repeat. You know, say we have one focus and not having to repeat that kind of focus each game. We're always improving in every way each game. There's always going to be things that go wrong and, you know, don't quite work. But I think as long as every game we get better and we work on what we've spoken about the last couple of games or last film session or whatever it is, um, then, you know, I know it's going to click at some point and we're going to get those wins rolling on the board. And um, I think Bendigo is a really great test to do that against because, like I said, they're a really great team and they have all that veteran leadership and those players that have played in the league for a really long time so we're right there okay yeah, before we kind of move on to some other topics i want to ask one question we all know shane hill is i think we could all call him a driven individual you know after each game how has he found the progress of the team and how you guys have been going and has he found the the chemistry of the team yeah i mean I think Shane's found it, like I said, that we're getting better each time. We obviously didn't have a lot of time between those games. Um, I think we had two days and then another two days with travel in between and all that sorts of things. So for Shane, you know, like I said, we just have focuses on certain things, whatever it is after each game and make sure we're improving on that and we're doing that sort of thing. We know our shot's going to drop at some point during the season, hopefully soon. Yeah, and it's really about that focus moving on to the next game. We don't try and dwell on other games, but we just try to take as much as we can from them. Okay. Recently, there was an article uh, in the pick and roll where they, there was mention made of you being in the Opals conversation for Paris. You were part of that the team at the Asia Cup that got the bronze at Jordan. How do you personally, as a player, find those sorts of opinions about yourself? Do you find them like encouraging? Do you find yourself kind of going, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of not 100% thrilled that people sort of are forecasting what could or could not be? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone has an opinion and um, I just try, you know, sometimes I see them, sometimes I don't. I don't take a lot of it on board unless it's from somebody that I respect and, you know, is in my circle and that sort of thing because at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of people in the basketball world and a lot of people with all different opinions. So for me, my goal is Paris. 2024 so if I saw that article I'd probably be happy with that one but um, yeah like I said I think it's great that we're having so many um, people comment on women's basketball and have those sorts of opinions and stuff but you've got to take that stuff with a grain of salt and know I think for me the people that matter most to me the ones that I really respect and value their opinion and their advice. And um, to me you're a very versatile player and I have enjoyed watching your game evolve over time, especially since you're at the caps when you've, you're able to go from a three to a stretch four and sometimes into the five. But where do you feel most comfortable yourself? Like what part of the game do you feel most comfortable playing in? I'm really happy playing kind of any role as long as I'm on the court. Like I said, you know, sometimes I'll be 
point forward, I like to call myself, and I know if many coaches agree with that. But, um, you know, if I'm on the court, then I don't mind where I'm playing. I am definitely comfortable in the stretch four role, you know, where I can take slower players off the dribble or bring smaller players into the block. But um, I think the biggest thing for me is defensively being able to guard kind of through multiple positions. And, yeah, if like if I play, get the opportunity to play three, I will. And sometimes uh, if I have to play five, I can as well. So having said that, do you feel like that's the area of your game you need to improve on to get a spot in the Paris uh, Opal squad is is your versatility on defence? Um, yeah, I think, you know, definitely being able to guard multiple positions at the international level and um, probably something I need to work on. You know, I've had conversations with Sandy, with the Opal staff and that sort of thing on all those little things that I need to work on, being consistent shooter, all that sort of thing. But yeah, like it's there's always things that you can work on to get into those spots and I think too it depends on what the team needs at that point in time and who else is available and all those sorts of things come into it as well. So how did you find the style of play and the intensity of play between the WNBL and, you know, Asia Cup? It's different at Asia Cup. Obviously, the Asian teams play a bit of a different game of basketball. They're speedy and quick, and I think that really suits my style of play. So I really enjoyed the Asia Cup. And then, um, you know, you came up against China that have some just absolute beasts that are huge and really hard to move in the paint. So comparing to WNBL, I think quite similar, but definitely more of that full-court pressing, that really high-tempo game um, when you look at the Japanese players that, shoot threes from here there and everywhere on the court and you kind of get that across the board so um, there's definitely a lot of things that transfer over and then a lot of things that are different as well and like from your point of view how did you find that experience at, at Asia Cup and Jordan and winning the bronze yeah I loved it you know it's been my goal to play for Opals for a really long time so when the opportunity came up I couldn't be more excited and um, the team was awesome. Such a great group of girls who like I've kind of grown up with and we've gone through juniors together and it was just a really exciting experience and to play at that level was awesome as well. And was uh, Paul Goris coaching that team as well if I'm right? Yeah, that was Gory coaching, so it was really nice. He was obviously COE coach with me and then at the Caps for five or six years, so it was really nice to have that familiarity as well. How are you finding the culture and the whole the, the Sydney experience as well? Because it's, you know, it's a tough town. How did you find that, particularly last season? Because last season was, was a bit of a challenge. There was a high turnover with imports, but towards the end of the season, the team really started coming together. How did you find that journey across that season? Yeah, I think, um, you know, last season was obviously challenging with all that sort of turnover that we had, but also coming, it was our first season out of COVID. So we probably were, and, you know, the first year with the new ownership group, so we were really just kind of figuring things out. It felt like um, with fans and that sort of thing, we still didn't have the fan access that we would normally, which I think is going to start this year at our first home game. Um, So, uh, you know, it's definitely different from being in a small town where I've played before, like Caps and your Townsville and that sort of thing. But I think it's something that we can definitely build on and when we look at World Cup, building off the back of that sort of thing. And I think, um, you know, the ownership group and Hoops Capital coming on board has made such a difference. And even this year, going from last year to this year with where we're training, our facilities, the support staff, all the people that we have on board has just gone through the roof. So um, we're definitely, I'd say, in that building stage still, but it's like all pointing to really positive signs. 
And has has your experience been quite different? Because you mentioned you referred to Canberra as a small town, um, and especially compared to Sydney, it definitely has that more of a big community town feel. Canberra, not saying not disrespecting Canberra, they know that I love them as well. But you know, comparing, say, you know, a very I would say accessible administration, the UC Caps, where you know you could have, like you said, small town feel big fan base, you know, you could have the top tier of the UC caps on the phone, you know, as easily as as your best friend. And were there any similarities and differences between going from a model like that to something as a little bit more what seems on the outside probably more established and a bigger presence like Hoops Capital? Yeah, I think there's always little differences, but most teams between the leagues, you know, you have access to all the people and, you know, whoever it is that you need to talk to, you could normally get a conversation with and maybe it's because I'm pretty chatty and I'll have a chat with anyone and anyone. So, you know, I think the biggest thing, differences with us is just how they've just pumped up our facilities. They really want what's best for us. They've put tons of money into our media and marketing and that sort of thing. So that's where I'm noticing the biggest difference at the moment. Yeah, so it sounds like um, in your experience, you know, regardless of size and stuff, you still, from top down of, you know, the size of an organisation, it sounds like you still feel pretty well supported. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, that's the benefit of the WNBL. It is only, you know, basketball world, WNBL world is actually quite small. So, you know, you kind of know who's who in most places. (laughs) And this season, it's new home court as well. The Key Centre. Have you been down to the Key Centre and sort of checked out the place uh, this season to get a feel and an, an understanding of the place you're going to be playing? Yeah, so we haven't gone down as a team yet. Um, we've been on the road. <laughs> but yeah. I did play um, those Opals games with Japan there and it was an awesome venue and I think it will suit us really well. You know, it's that little bit smaller in size but it's a fun venue to play at. So um, we're really excited to get there and I'm sure, you know, they'll deck it out really great and all flames colours and all that sort of thing. So we're really excited. Because will you get to train there as well a little bit in preparation for your first home game? Yeah, I would assume um, for game week we'll start to train there. We actually play in Melbourne before we have our first home game. So we'll be in Melbourne for <laughs> a couple of days before. So um, um, maybe we'll shoot around there. I don't know. I haven't seen um, what that looks like. But, yeah, hopefully once we're kind of based in Sydney for a little bit of time without having to jet off here, there and everywhere, um, we'll be able to get some trainings in at the actual centre. You might have to do an old school basketball camp there and just, you know, like set up an air mattress, sleep courtside, have your managers <laughs> feed you lasagna every night, just get immersed into the get venue. Started. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, every court has its own little unique things and, you know, when you play in a place long enough, you get to know there's – all the different things that are happening with the floor and the bounce of the court and whatever. And it's, that's going to be something a little bit new to you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll be new to us and new to all the other teams. So hopefully we can adapt pretty quick. And, you know, from memory from those games, um, when we played there with the Opals, um, it was a pretty good court, good rims. And I think that's the biggest thing. As long as the rings are okay, then we're good to go. <laughs> No glider up on the rings before yeah. you start, please. Yeah. <laughs> Going back a bit, you decided to leave college early. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, there are people who will go, 
it's the great college experience. What was it about the college experience where you thought, you know what, it's okay, I've got no issue with leaving early? Yeah, so I actually hated college. Like, (laughs) 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 it was quite easy for me to leave. But I guess a little bit of background on that is I did my right knee when I was at AIS my second year going into college. So I I went in there um, and I'd rehabbed at AIS and everything and was okay to go, but, you know, never quite felt right. And then three months into my freshman year, I did my other knee, got hit, taken out, did my knee. And comparing the US rehab to Australian AIS rehab, it was like night and day. And it just didn't work for me um, or my knees. And there was a lot of pressure on me to rush back to playing because they wanted me on the court. And it just was a, a really hard time, especially being, I think I was 19 at the time, to be like, whoa, like my knee's not ready to go. Like it's six months post ACL Rico. I've just had one last year. Um, and then ended up actually having another surgery over there, just like a clean out. So I was like, this isn't for me. And then on top of that, I wanted to study physio in Australia. And I was like, well, why am I going to do four years over here studying something when nothing transfers back to physio in Australia? So I was like, I'm out. <laughs> this is, I tried it, I hated it, and I'm done. <laughs> no, I think that's a really like, like I appreciate the sound and honest reflection of college because like Paul said, you know, college is sometimes glamorized in a sense of the college dream, the college experience. And for me, my friends went, I probably could have gone if I wanted to explore the opportunities, but it just sounded really restrictive. So I'm really, I appreciate the honest experience saying it wasn't for you and you didn't like it. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that your rehab experience was so different. So what was it do you feel like, I mean, it sounded like the, you were, you said that they were rushing to get you back on court, but what else was around the rehab? Like what was their perspective on rehab in that situation compared to what you experienced at the AIS? I think the biggest thing obviously was the timeframes, them just being, you know, we need you back now, we need you back here. But then the biggest thing was not taking into consideration how my knee was actually going and um, with AIS and with physio in Australia, you have it's not about time phrases, it's about goals. You know how how many hops you can do, squats, strength, all that sort of thing that are um, outcome based. Whereas in the US, it was like, oh, you're six months now, you should be back scrimmaging. And I'm like, yeah, but I I, I haven't done any change of direction movements yet. Like this doesn't make sense. And I think that I was lucky that I'd done my knee in Australia before, so I knew that process and Mm. I had a really great contact back here physio wise and I was just like whoa this this doesn't make sense like my knee's not right and I've also just had three knee surgeries in two years and I'm not even 20 yet I'm like this is not where I want to be and I think for them to they have a focus of they've got you for four years you know it doesn't really matter what you do or at least obviously I think every college is different as well you know I'm sure people go to college and have like you said great experiences but the college I was at, they were like, we've got you for four years. There's no long-term thinking about what's this going to do to your knee in the long-term. Will you be able to play, have a long career, um, all that sort of thing. So for me, it was that. And as soon as I came back to Australia, got in to see a good physio, kind of started that rehab process. Within, it was six months to a year, I was back feeling really confident in my knee and feeling like I'm ready to go and, you know, playing in basketball at a high level again. Mm. It's it's a really interesting look into the into the college basketball world because 
I mean, we've spoken to lots of players who've been to college, and I think this is the first time we've actually had a look like that into it where it's like, you know, yeah, okay, it's been this much time, you should be back on the floor. It, and it's it's a bit surprising that the colleges, well, on one hand, it's surprising that the colleges do take that approach, mm. right? Because, you know, you've got young players coming through. But on the other hand, I can kind of see it because there's that dollar imperative to get, you know, the big crowds in and make sure that everybody who's got a slot at the college on the team is producing for the team. Otherwise, they start questioning you. Did you find that when you were sort of like, well, you know, pushing back a little bit, you were getting pressure from the, the college? Yeah, massively. From the head coach more than anything, I there was times where I'd say to the trainer, like my first game, I think I was supposed to play, you know, eight minutes or something, whatever you're supposed to play, and I played 20. And the next day, my knee was really swollen and we had another game. And the trainer said, oh, you have to tell the coach that you can't play because it's your choice. And I'm like, well, what? Like, which obviously I did because I had that backing, you know, from my family and from the physios back here. And I knew that it wasn't right. But there's people that would just, oh, okay, like I have to play. Like, and then, you know, then you have that conversation with the coach, which at 19 is quite hard. And, you know, I think, like, she called me selfish. She's saying all these things where I'm like, whoa, like, I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure my knee's okay. So, yeah, it was the rough time. And after that, I was like, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I finished the wow. season and then I was like, see ya. <laughs> I booked a flight home tomorrow. Wow. And for our listeners, our jaws did silently drop when Keely oh, yeah. like Ke- referred to a coach calling us selfish. That is outrageous oh it just reminds me of that movie varsity blues like when <laughs> have you seen it i think i might have yet the old one but similar yeah. like a starting quarterback knee problem coach was like giving him cortisone injections to keep playing and then he stuffs up his knee and he can't play at all it just seems like the coach had no i mean it's ironic that she called you selfish because she had no sense of your <laughs> overall well-being and longevity as a human and a player so yeah, wow. That's um really disappointing to hear that was your experience. But good on you for standing up for yourself and sticking to what you truly believed was going to be the best for you. Because I imagine as well, what was it like? Because you went to college with your twin sister, Alicia. Mm-hmm. Unique experience to be able to go to the same college at the same time with your sister. But then what was it like uh, in that situation where you met with the decision where you're like, the best thing for me is to leave? Because didn't Alicia stay? Yeah, Alicia stayed and she knew, you know, that I was obviously struggling with my knees and with how they were treating me and, like, my rehab. So she was quite like, yeah, this is silly. Why would you be here? And she was doing really well. And then, you know, by the end of it, they also messed up some of her injuries and that sort of thing. So it's one of those things where, you know, maybe hindsight, but she did have a really great college career and did, I think, overall really enjoyed it there until probably the end where it got a little bit sour so you know that's two people at the same school with quite different experiences but um yeah it was like I said I was so ready to go I after I knew when our last game was I'd already booked a flight <laughs> I was like I'm out <laughs> like see you later <laughs> wow and did they know that you didn't have intention of coming back no they didn't know and after the last game I'd said like thanks but I'm out 
And then they were trying to convince me to stay and the athletic director wanted to meet with me and someone else, but I'd actually signed a contract to play Siebel in Bendigo. So I just was like, I've already signed a professional contract. I'm ineligible. So yeah. Oh, good one. (laughs) Here's the final mic drop and I'm not picking it back up. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's just, I'm actually really shocked, you know, hearing all of that. But it, it reinforces the fact that some people have said, you know, the college experience isn't necessarily the ideal pathway for people. You know, it wasn't ideal for you. It is ideal for others. So do you think that people who are considering the college pathway should actually sit down and have a, a really hard think about whether it's going to work for their own personality rather than sort of saying, well, it's college. It's kind of like that's the next box that's got to be ticked. Yeah, I think everyone has to take in their own personal account to what they want to do next and what their goals are and that sort of thing. And I think it's probably easier now to go into college with a little bit more, I think there's more people going over there, there's more information probably available. I mean, you still never know what you're walking into until you're there. But, you know, back in 2013 or whenever it was, we really didn't know a whole lot at all and you kind of get pieces of information from people and that sort of thing. So, I think it is just about making sure you do your research and then the biggest thing for me is the medical side of it. Like if there is any sort of medical thing going on, that was where I really caught me up. But like I said, every college is different and hopefully now they've kind of started to change that. I don't know. But, yeah, everyone's different and not everyone loves it. I think Harry and Sam, both my brothers, went for a year as well and then they were out and theirs was more to do with academics and playing and the game style. So, you know, they had completely different experiences from me as well, but they ended up thinking, you know, coming back and playing in Australia is better for them. Have you ever thought about Europe? Yeah, I have thought about Europe. Um, You know, it's something that's always been on the radar and I was studying when I was in Canberra for a long time. So that kind of held me in Australia and um, I really wanted to get my degree done. So that was done out the way. And now, you know, I'm definitely open to it and would consider it. But I do just, I love playing in Australia as well. Like I love going NBL1, WNBL, that kind of lifestyle. So it's something that I definitely haven't written off and I would definitely consider. But, you know, at the same time, it is nice knowing what you're getting in the WNBL yeah. and in NBL1 as, and, you know, being close to family and friends and all that. And a bit, uh, like you said, like probably a bit more stability, you know what you're getting into. And it sounds like you've got a good relationship as well with the Launceston team for the NBL1 considering. Have you played three seasons with them now? Yeah, well, two seasons I've played and then that one was COVID that year that the season just got canned. So I signed, but I never played. (laughs) So how do you find Tasmania and Launceston and, and playing for the Tawns? I love it. Like, I really love it down there. The Tawns are a really great organisation and they look after me really well. And I think just basketball in Tasmania is awesome. You know, we see it with the jack jumpers. But, you know, I also play in what we call the NWBU, which is like state league on a Tuesday night kind of leading into the season. And we get like 500 people, 1,000 people to games for like state league. For and they, state league? Yeah, and they love no it. No way. So it's, it's really cool to have that sort of support and the Torns obviously a standalone women's team. I think our um, brother team is the Thunder on the coast. So we travel with them, but, you know, everyone comes and watches the Launceston Tornadoes play and we get an awesome crowd and 
the board's great and I have a job down there as well. So it all works really well and just fits into a great off-season for me. So, but if you're scoring, say, 50 points, 25 rebounds in an NBL1 game and you're playing Tuesday night State League, are you scoring like 100 points a game? What's going on? <laughs> there's, there, no, I, I try, you know, I, I make it fun in the State League and I think the biggest thing for me in that State League is being around young, like I play for Bernie Tigers, so being around those young kids and trying to, you know, show them how basketball works and trying to be a leader for them and a role model for them. So, you know, we have a pretty good relationship once we're up by a certain amount I uh, sub myself out and <laughs> cheer from the sidelines. <laughs> but it's fun. It's really fun to play there and it's just a great, like, community and basketball community for sure in Tassie. That's important you- to keep it fun. Yeah. But you still yeah. – you can still experience basketball where it's fun because I feel like – I was talking to someone today actually where it was really – important for me going from having basketball so much a part of your life and so serious and learning to find the fun in it again so that's really cool that you're able to have that duality of playing for fun on a Tuesday being a role model for other female athletes and then turning it on on a weekend for the tawns but it's still being a role model as well yeah definitely and you know I always try and have fun and enjoy what I'm doing and if I'm not enjoying it then I don't do it like it's really simple so I love yeah I love playing with that and just being around the girls and seeing all these like rural parts of Tassie and just how much people get around you and support you and appreciate you too which is really nice. And you mentioned you've got a job down there what do you do down there? Yeah so I'm a physio I have a job at Imbalance in Launceston and it's been really great because it's pretty hard to be a new grad and say can you give me a job but only for six months of the year and also I might have to go overseas at certain times um don't sound like the world's best employee but um they've been great with that you know taking me on when I'm down in Tassie and um, working around my schedule and like I can't speak highly enough of them and how much they've helped me and I, I love it you know that physio side of work and doing something different outside of basketball. So it's cool and, yeah, coming back in the winter and knowing that you have that job there is pretty special. And um, just for the free plug, whereabouts are they and what's their name again? <laughs> yeah, in Launceston, Imbalance Physio. <laughs> and that's really cool. I mean, you just spoke about your negative experience of rehabbing your knee in college. So you have that perfect lived experience of what not to do as a physio, you know. <laughs> when they, you're not person-centred and when you're not using outcome measures and things like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think I've had experience of the really bad stuff, but then I've been really lucky to have some really great physios around me as well. So, you know, you take little bits from everyone that you're around and things that you shouldn't definitely do and then stuff that you should do as well. <laughs> okay, so tell us about Townsville. You spent three years at Townsville as a DP. How did you find that? How was that experience for you, you know, with the WNBL team? It was really cool. It feels like a lifetime ago now. Like, I, you know, haven't lived in Townsville for 10 years, I think, nearly now. So it feels like a whole world ago. But to have that as your first professional experience, I think, is pretty special. And it's something that obviously is a benefit of growing up in a small place like Townsville and being exposed to that at such a young age. I think... Like, my first training with the fire, I was 14 years old. Like, it just is unheard of. And we were just doing a preseason, kind of filling in and that sort of thing when Peter Buckle was still the coach. And 
it was pretty cool to have that experience and then to come on as a DP um, under Chris Lucas and be around some really great players with, you know, your Susie Bakovic's and Jess Foley and um, all those people. So, like, at the time I was just like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like, you know, you're obviously nervous and you're like, oh, but um, looking back on it now, like, that's a really cool experience and I definitely learned a lot from it. Yeah, just a casual training feeling when you're 14. Oh, my word. Like, <laughs> I'd still be sitting in the bleachers at 14, I think. That's that's amazing. That's a very unique experience. And I'm glad you – thanks for putting your ages to the context because when you mentioned before you played for the Caps five, six years, I didn't actually realise you were part of that club for that long because then I was thinking, wait, hold on, how old were you when you were involved at Townsville? So, yeah, that really puts things into a, a good context. Yeah, I think I'm the league's youngest veteran. That's what I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you would have racked up so many years playing and like number of – have you reached your milestones of games played in the WNBL yet? Yeah, I don't know. I actually haven't um, – I've definitely played my 100th game. I don't know about 150. I can't remember. Um, I played my 100th game in the hub though, so surely I'd be close to – Yeah, you'd be you'd yeah. be pretty close. Yeah. But I don't know, I haven't, don't even know where you get that information. <laughs> oh, I'll be Googling. I'll be Googling. Oh, yeah, Someone yeah, out well, there will know. I think one of the things that, that interests me, what you were talking about Townsville, is that the Townsville team, it, it seems to me, is a bit like Tasmania where you get a massive amount of support from the community. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's that small community feel and I think, you know, there's the Fire and the Cowboys. They're your two big teams. So you get a lot of supporters from everywhere and it's it's a great place to play and especially I think as your first pro kind of, not gig, but just where you're in that environment is cool and, like, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, I've heard... Um I've heard other players who've played in Townsville say similar, that they really loved playing in Townsville because of that atmosphere. And I've even had some random Townsville fans contact me on social media saying how upset they were when players have left, like when me and Murray went to sign for Boomers. Someone randomly messaged me and was like, my best friend heard about it and she was crying. She can't believe Mia is leaving. And I was like, whoa, these fans are really into it. Like, like it's so much respect for that, for that level of fandom where someone is becoming like physically upset that their favourite player is leaving. Yeah, they're definitely super passionate up there, which is really cool. And I think we need more of that in women's basketball. Mm, Maybe yes, good point. People being passionate. <laughs> So do they do um do they do fan art up there? I don't know actually. I don't I don't know if they do the fan art up there. Not that I've seen. I think. I think yeah. Maybe it's a challenge. Yeah. Because- yeah. The the fire fans need to come up with some with some of their own fan art. We can try and see if we can get a, a national WNBL fan art competition going. <laughs> yeah, we'll vote on who's the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, one of the key questions is, what do you do when you're away from basketball? For me, um, Mm -hmm. it depends where I am. In Tassie, obviously, I'm working. My boyfriend's there, so we hang out. But I love just, like, spending time with family, with friends and hiking. Like, I love kind of going out and seeing in Tassie. There's some beautiful places to hike. And here I've been up to the Blue Mountains and explored and that sort of thing. So, hiking, the beach chilling out, and then going out for brunch, I'd say. 
are my things that I do. <laughs> okay. Favourite beach? Definitely the Whitsundays. My grandma's lucky enough to have a spot up there, so uh, that is my favourite <laughs> beach. Not that I get there a whole lot, but, yeah, it's the best. And in Sydney? In Sydney, probably Bronte at the moment. Um, we kind of just go wherever, you know. Yeah, I think Bronte. Okay. And favourite brunch spot? Ooh, favourite brunch spot. I'm, I'm yet to find a favourite favourite in Sydney. I think there's too many, so I never want to go to the same one for <laughs> Because I'm like, there's so many to try. And there's way too many to keep up with because you go to one and then six months later you go back to it and it's a whole other new place. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't keep up with it. And why brunch and not breakfast or lunch? Like why brunch specifically? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think because when you have an off day, you don't want to get up early, so you're sleeping in. Mm. And then that's like your breakfast, but it's late. So it's brunch, right? And then you go yeah. out, beach, go do whatever. Yeah, perfect. So you've got to accommodate for the sleep in. No, I, yeah. I totally agree with that. And then you can just have breakfast at your leisure rather than sticking to a time of like, I've got to get up and eat a certain time and then go to training or go to weights or whatever. It's just yeah. way more leisurely. Yeah, exactly. Look, one of, the, one of the talking points is if you weren't a basketball player, what would you be? Well, I guess I'd have to say a physio because that's what I do in my spare time. But I don't know. If I didn't play basketball my whole life, I feel like I'd play some other sport for sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know what one. Um, <laughs> I dabbled in athletics for a little while there. I feel like I would be okay at AFL. I don't know if I can kick the ball, mm. but I feel like I would tackle someone. Oh, yeah. No, I can definitely see you playing Aussie rules. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever play netball at all? I did for one, like, school game and they didn't they made me be gk and i was like no nah, i want to shoot <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm not doing this if i don't get to shoot the ball so that was it for me and i think i was a little bit too aggressive so because i feel like you're i feel like you've got a few kind of netball sensibilities about your game like your foot your very quick light footwork especially when on defense as well what made me think that perhaps you had played netball yeah, no, nah, I, I definitely – oh, I tried and then, like, I either couldn't shoot or I just kept getting contacts because I was too close to everyone. So <laughs> it didn't work well for me. I was standing next to my man the whole time, it felt like. <laughs> I feel like when they know that you're a basketballer and you're switching to netball even that one time, the umpires will just want to blow you up for everything, whether it's right or not, just as a yes. fight. That's how I felt. I felt targeted. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can definitely see you do Aussie rules though. Like, yeah, for sure. Especially with your white, white line fever and competitiveness, I can see you taking down some people. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we do, and you may have heard this before or not, we ask a totally unscripted question. Okay. Nothing bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's nothing bad. <laughs> so. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh like that. It's, now it gets people worried. Okay, so I'm going to go with one that we did recently, which is if you could be any movie character at all, who would you be? you a movie character. I feel like I'd be a superhero, like Wonder Woman or something cool, Some someone with powers, you know? Okay, so yeah. which one? Maybe Wonder Woman, I reckon. Wonder Woman. It's pretty cool, yeah. Okay, and why is that? 
I just think it's cool to have those powers and like all that sort of thing. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's a lame answer, but that's how I feel. <laughs> no, no, that's what, cool. What superheroes do you think your siblings would be? I feel like uh, I feel like Alicia could be like the Hulk. Because she gets. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say Harry would be the Hulk. No, I feel like Alicia just has that snap, and then you're like, not right. Like she's going to hate me. I'm definitely going to get into trouble. Sorry, Harry. What would Harry be? I don't know. Sam and Sam's a different one too. He's like a bit more chilled. Like, but then, yeah. What what superheroes would they be? I don't know, I probably don't know the superheroes enough to be. Hmm. I think I'm just typecasting Harry because he's like tall and broad, so that's yeah. why I thought the Hulk or maybe like the thing from Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope he doesn't get, I hope he doesn't hear this and gets upset. Apologies, Harry. Dad would, Dad would definitely claim that he's Superman. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the interesting things is. The whole family is heavily involved in sports. What was that like, you know, growing up? I guess for us it was just normal. Like we were always around. This is back when the Crocs were in the NBL and Dad was the assistant um, or when he was playing for the Suns. We were just always at training, running around, running a muck in the gym and I remember getting in trouble for, you know, breaking things and all that sort of thing. <laughs> and going to the games and kind of going, we'd always go backstage and be back with interacting with the guys and everyone and all that sort of thing. So for us, that was just our childhood. Like we just, that's what we knew. And obviously, you know, we had goals and I guess with dad and mum being both so heavily involved, but also knowing what it took. So they were always really honest with the expectation and what it's going to take to, you know, make it to whatever our goals were and that sort of thing um, without, you know, putting too much pressure on us. And, you know, they never said you have to do that. But if that's what you want, then this is what you have to do. So it just feels like it was a normal childhood for us, but obviously it wasn't. Um, but, yeah, it was obviously really cool and fun and you learn a lot from that. And, yeah, Dad's making his return to coaching, just being announced the head coach of the Townsville NBL1 men's team. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, you know, Dad's a great coach and he gets a lot out of his players and um, he's really respected. He's coached juniors up there for a really long time, I think, you know, 16, 18 boys. So they're really excited and um, they'll be running a lot, but I think, you know, he'll really enjoy it as well. So it'll be good for everyone. (laughs) So heads up, if anyone is uh, planning to try out for that team, you'll just be prepared for a bit of running. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I'm really curious about is, with the current Flames team, when you guys are around, which of the players has the best sense of humour? Humour-wise, <laughs> I think Tiana is the funniest person on the team. Like, But it's just because she just has no filter with what she says, what she does. She's just happy to lay it all out there. And it's like really honest and refreshing, but it's funny too. Um, and she definitely keeps the mood in the change room light and sometimes you're just shaking your head, but you're always laughing with her as well. <laughs> and when you're practising, when you're scrimmaging particularly, is there a specific player that you kind of like know that they're going to be like putting 110% in even though it is a friendly scrimmage? 
Yeah. I, I feel like that my team would say that's me. <laughs> so I'm definitely that person that, like, doesn't matter if it's training, whatever, once I'm over that line, I'm ready to go. And, you know, if there's a foul or something, I'll definitely get fired up about it or <laughs> well. So I feel like the team would answer that as me. But I think, you know, we do a good job as a group of being, like, really competitive at training as well. So, you know, there's people all across the board that will bring it. Have you done very much off-court team bonding that still promotes a sense of competitiveness, you know, if it's paintball against each other or go-karting or anything like that? Yeah, we didn't do a whole heap of that this preseason. Um, I think for us it's about, you know, doing that stuff on the court and then off the court we have fun. We're going out um, for dinner or hanging out, going to the beach a lot, doing that sort of thing where you're winding down more than, you know, for us preseason was pretty intense and we didn't want to do any more running or anything. <laughs> off the court we were chilling. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we've got a game coming up soon at, at Kudos. We're hoping to have that we'll see a really good turnout of the crowd, particularly after, you know, with the World Cup. How did you find the whole World Cup experience and what do you think it's helped to do with the WNBL? Yeah, I thought the World Cup was incredible. I think it was a great experience and the turnout was way more than I ever would have expected. And it was great to have that level of basketball in Australia and being enjoyed by so many fans. So, Hopefully, we kind of get that follow-on of the people that enjoyed the World Cup, maybe came to watch their countries or see that level, and hopefully we can get them to some Flames games for sure. Okay. Keely, it's been great having you on, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Flames playing at home. Can't wait. And it's been so much fun talking to you. Can't wait to see how the season rolls out. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much um, for having me. And I'm also very excited for a home game. Um, not one yet. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you on the court soon. Thanks, guys. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.